Welcome back to Mothers in Construction, aka MIC. Today we're going to discuss mental health with Danielle Fairburn Bland, owner of Uplifting Hearts Counseling, and also Akila David, registered nurse. Please enjoy the show. Take heed to the gems that we're going to share with you. And don't forget to check us out every Thursday. Like and subscribe. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Mothers in Construction. Uh, today, we're going to speak about something very important, and we're going to speak about mental health. I have some very special guests with me today. Sure. Thank you so much for having me on this such an important platform. My name is Danielle Fairburn Bland. I am a licensed clinical social worker and a practicing psychotherapist. In addition to that, I am the owner of Uplifting Hearts Counseling, which is an online private practice supporting individuals in in New Jersey. Thank you for having me. Hi, my name is Akila David, and I'm currently a registered nurse. I've been a registered nurse for about 17 years, and my specialty actually spans across different specialties, but at current, within the past year and a half, I've been fortunate enough to work on an inpatient psychiatric unit. Thank you for joining us, ladies. The reason why I wanted to focus on mental health is I realized that in the construction industry, in any industry that's intense as construction, but specifically in the construction industry, people suffer or deal with different issues that they have to endure all the while, you know, completing a very, very demanding job. Mothers have a lot of things that they deal with just from managing the household, working in the construction industry, you know, on projects or whatever, or if they're tradeswomen, it's just so many different things that they deal with every day. So I thought it would be really important to talk to people so they can figure out what are the keys to going through this life, you know, just making it happen with enduring during your career and also making sure that you take time for self-care and paying attention to your health. So um, according to the CDC, about one in eight women after pregnancy endure postpartum, something that I also have endured myself, not really to some of the extreme degrees, which I've heard from talking to different women who've experienced it as well of, you know, wanting to hurt myself or hurt my child, but definitely going through the periods of depression, you know, and having to deal with that, you know, make sure that I was still being present for my family, for my other children, for my husband, and also for my career. Akila, if you could speak a little bit about postpartum and depression. Uh, so I guess just to simplify it for the uh, listeners, uh, postpartum means the time after you've given birth to your child. And it's actually uh, common about one in nine mothers experience postpartum depression. And it more than just what people might simplify it or categorize it as the baby blues. Um, typically, the baby blues would last anywhere from about three to five days. But with postpartum depression, it can linger for two weeks or even longer than that. And um, typically, in my experience, when I've seen mothers who've been admitted for postpartum depression, there's usually um, a chief complaint of wanting to, you know, harm their baby or feelings like they want to harm their baby or themselves. Some of the symptoms that they usually present with is uh, like restlessness or moodiness, feeling sad, feeling hopeless, overwhelmed. A lot of times they're crying a lot or aside from just uh, having thoughts of hurting the baby or themselves, they feel like they don't have, have any interest at all in the baby. They feel like they're not able to connect with the baby 
or um, that the baby is someone else's baby. A lot of times, too, they uh, have a symbol of no energy. They're not motivated. Feelings of worthlessness, uh, feeling guilty or feel like, you know, they're a bad mother. It's, you know, kind of disheartening to see because you sh- uh, typically when you give birth, this is a time where you should, you know, be connecting with your child and, you know, um, enjoying the time with your baby. But when you see cases like this, you know, it's it's really disheartening. Right, right. And it's so important because all of the things that you mentioned are extreme cases. So it's easily identifiable. But just the act of depression, feeling depressed and feeling low. And like you mentioned, the baby blues is something that, you know, typically does come. But it's really important to pay attention to those symptoms so that things don't progress. Yeah, you're going to feel a little bit sad. You're going to cry and you're going to go through those feelings and emotions. And some of that could just be related to having a child, you know, especially if it's your first child, you know, the the baby's schedule is different. They may sleep during the day and then they're up at night or, you know, the feeding schedules like every hour and a half. So you're not really resting as much. So just that sense of overwhelmingness, it just happens after pregnancy, post-pregnancy. But then again, you know, paying attention to those symptoms that you just mentioned is so important because it could be a little bit more than that. Just uh, chime in as well. Um, I think it's important for mothers, for them actually not to feel like it's, it's their fault or it's something that could have easily been prevented because when you're pregnant, your pregnancy hormones are at uh, astronomical high. And as soon as you give birth, all these hormones, they just bottom out. And in a sense, what I'm trying to say is they go back to a level of pre-pregnancy. And, mm-hmm. you know, this can, can contribute to how mothers feel when they're having postpartum uh, depression. Mm-hmm. So what type of things do you think can impact the women at work, you know, who are going through this? Um, in their workplace specifically? Yes. So I think it's important during the peripartum period, meaning when the uh, mothers are pregnant, that they can get as much help as possible, maybe from their uh, employers, the human resources department. I know a lot of times uh, pregnant women, they have to fill out paperwork uh, for leave of absences and stuff like that. So maybe connecting with the mothers and um, maybe offering a packet of information uh, regarding uh, postpartum depression in their paperwork that they have to file for a leave of absence. I know that according to the uh, WorkplaceMentalHealth.org, they spoke about maybe having the uh, human resources department or the uh, benefit managers uh, consider implementing like a visiting nurse program as part of their company, which can help mothers who've just given birth to look out for these uh, symptoms and to catch these symptoms at an early time. Right, right. It's important. So just, you know, being a mom and just thinking about if I were to have those extreme conditions, if you need a little bit more time, is it safe to say just take more time? You know, if you start to have those symptoms and you know that your return is, you know, in another three weeks or two weeks, it's not enough. You may not have enough time to now transition and go back into a demanding career and maybe time to speak to your spouse or, you know, talk to different family members to see if you can get some additional support. You may have to have someone come with you. You may have to have hired help to help with the other children. You may need a little bit more time. And I think it's also important to uh, for mothers that they don't feel like it's negative to ask for help to, you know, if you feel like these feelings have been lingering, you know, for quite some time that you reach out to your healthcare provider so that they can intervene at an 
early stage for you. It's also helpful that new mothers, you know, they have a strong support system. They can connect with other new moms. Don't be terrified to ask for help or accept help from your family and friends. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these things can uh, help to curb the depression before it's onset or to help treat it, to end it at an early time. Right, right. Yeah, we're strong enough. We don't have to consider these type of things weakness, which often gets confused with. Cool. I want to jump into something else. So then after you have the baby and you do jump back into work, let's say everything is fine, then just managing it all is a lot. You know, and I know that also anxiety, something that women can go through. This is something that just the construction industry as a whole, you know, there are people who experience this um, because of the intensiveness of the job and just life. So, Danielle, I know that's something that you have some experience with. Sure, sure. Thank you for sharing what you shared, Akila and Tonya, for just kind of segueing into anxiety. It's something that in society, we kind of throw that word around. And this is not to pathologize or, um, you know, the information that Akila and I are sharing. It, it really is very specific. So we encourage everyone to connect with your healthcare provider if you have one and really understand what you're experiencing. But we're talking really general today. And some of the things that we, um, Tony just mentioned, um, anxiety. Um, anxiety is a really a normal and healthy response to stress. Everyone has anxiety to some level, whether it be going to the grocery store, right? In the midst mm. of the pandemics that we're experiencing, not knowing if you have to return to work. Another common anxiety is possibly not knowing if you are sick. You know, people are coughing nowadays. <laughs> you're not sure what it is, right? So right. even the anxiety about being sick, those are normal anxieties that we experience and our body has to respond to stress, right? So anxiety is very different than anxiety disorder. And I want to make that very clear because sometimes when we learn more about things, sometimes we start to think that we are dealing with a mental illness and we don't want to pathologize ourselves. We don't want to pathologize our family members. We just want to get information and kind of be in tune with ourselves. So anxiety, as I shared, is a very common reaction to stress. Anxiety disorder is something different and anxiety disorder can be considered a mental challenge. And I say challenge as opposed to illness because our language is important, right? So we all have challenges and anxiety disorder is a mental health challenge that some people face. If you are someone you love is feeling anxious most of the days for at least six months, we encourage people to seek support from a professional so you can be evaluated, share what you're experiencing and figure out if you are dealing with the anxiety disorder. It's important to know that, right? If you're dealing with anxiety disorder, then you can know the support you need from your family or what you can do or what accommodations you can get at work. Anxiety disorder, I like to consider it like an umbrella term. And under the umbrella term, there are different types of anxiety disorders. Some of the most common ones that I'm going to talk about are generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety disorder, panic disorder, phobias, and PTSD. These are some things that are kind of very common in our um, daily talk because mental health is being elevated and uplifted, which is really good. And as someone who's been doing this work for over 15 years, I'm really happy that um, people are taking the time to learn more about mental health challenges and ways that we can end the stigma. Worry and fear are some symptoms that are common in all of these disorders. Mm. And each of these disorders have a different level. So think of it on a spectrum, right? On a spectrum, worry and fear. Worry and fear are very normal, but when it impacts your daily functioning, that's when it can become a disorder. This is when it can become a challenge. So if you're worrying so much that you can't get to work on time, 
If you're worrying so much, you have to avoid certain situations or settings. If you're worrying so much, you can't um, complete tasks at home or you can't care for yourself or your family. These are things that we should look out for. And they're red flags. None of this is, I don't like to consider it life or death, but I like to consider it something to think about, something to consider. For some people, when they're dealing with anxiety, it shows up in their body. And that can look like increased heart rate, rapid breathing, trouble concentrating, nightmares, inability to fall asleep, or just anticipating the worst in life. This is kind of like what anxiety disorder looks like for a lot of different people. And everyone is very different as well. Um, I can touch a little bit on each of the anxiety disorders. Mm -hmm. So generalized anxiety disorder is chronic worrying about everyday life. And when we say chronic, it's ongoing. It's not like worrying about a season or worrying, you know, about paying your bills. This is ongoing worrying every day so much that you're not able to troubleshoot things so much that a simple task can become become so difficult because you're worrying so much about things that go wrong. Mm -hmm. Social anxiety disorder is an intense fear about social interactions. So this could be, you know, not wanting to be around other people, not wanting to socialize, avoiding settings that a lot of people are in because you're afraid of saying the wrong thing or not being accepted. That's social anxiety disorder. Panic disorder is something that is characterized by sudden feelings of terror. And some people say that when they have panic attacks, they can't breathe or it can feel like a heart attack. Some people I've worked with, this is really difficult because it, it can it can be very scary. You can feel as though you're dying. You can feel as though you can't move. And this is where the support from medical doctors, ruling out a medical condition first mm-hmm. before thinking it's a panic disorder. You want to make sure everything is all well with your body but a panic disorder really can um, mimic a heart attack. Okay. Phobias. This is something that we all hear about phobias. People are afraid of elevators, afraid of, um, I saw the other day someone was afraid of olives or Moria. All these phobias, um, people experience different phobias. It could be a specific object, a situation, or an activity. And being afraid of things is not an issue, but when it's impacting functioning, that's when we have to look at it and say, is something else going on with you? Lastly, PTSD um, is anxiety following a traumatic event. A traumatic event could be anything. It could be childbirth trauma. It can be sexual assault. It can be having a trauma of being homeless. It could be the trauma of some sort of workplace trauma. Trauma is also on a spectrum. But the anxiety that people feel after a traumatic event is where PTSD kind of shows up. Hmm. And there isn't really a, a a set way of looking at the things that cause anxiety, but research has shown that it's a combination of genetics and environment. So some people can say, you know, my mom deals with anxiety also, or you grow up seeing your mom not be able to handle stressful events. That can be genetic, but that's also a learned behavior. So as kids, we learn how to um, deal with different life challenges. If we learn under pressure, this is the way that you handle it, that's something that you learn. But also if our environment is very stressful, it sounds as though, um, you know, women in construction, it is a very um, fast paced environment. It's very male dominated, which comes with its own stress. And women that are trying to break through in this field, I can imagine the things that you guys go through from day to day. So the environment that is not really conducive to healing can also be very stressful. So our environment, our home life, if you come home and you have to wear so many different hats, that can be very stressful. That can be very anxiety provoking. That can trigger a lot of different things. And we just want to make sure that we are 
aware of our body and our mind because sometimes we just have to pause because it's too much going on. Like Akila said, if people are willing, if you have a village, if you have a tribe and people are willing to support you, it's really important to accept that help because anxiety can really um, trigger other things like depression. It can trigger other mental health situations. It can trigger medical conditions. And if we're not well in the mind, nothing else is really going to matter. Akila shared, um, there's no shame in asking for help. Um, as women, we carry a lot, we do a lot, we wear many hats, but the power isn't really in pulling people in that want to be there for you and not being ashamed of what you're going through. Because when we don't acknowledge what we're going through, no one can help us. And then we're all alone. And then we suffer in silence, which that doesn't help because we're not good for our children, our partners, our family members. We need people need to know what we're experiencing because that also helps to silence the shame, but also spread the awareness that it's okay to go through um, not so good days and none of us are perfect. Silencing the shame is really important. Telling our story is important. We're able to spread mental health awareness because we lose too many people from silence. It's important that other people know what we're going through because believe it or not, if you share this with any of your friends, it's probably so relatable Mm -hmm. and you'll probably get a lot of people to say, wow, I've been through that too. And when you start to share your story, you guys can really empower each other and heal each other, which is really important. Right. It's so good that you said that because I think about after I had my children and then going back to work and, you know, still going through some of these things, I would just close my door and cry it out or go to the bathroom and cry it out and suffer, you know, in silence because as a woman in this industry, it's so important to appear strong. If you show any sign of, you know, for lack of better words, weakness or any sign of subtleness, sometimes you're not as respected, you know, and then, you know, people just taking advantage. So yeah, I would close the door and go through all of this in silence because you don't want to show weakness. You know, you're afraid. I shouldn't say you don't want, you're afraid to show any sign of weakness because the whole point of your existence in this industry is to be strong. You know, most women who are very successful in our careers are known for no nonsense. You know, they're known for being being very strong and exhibiting that strength um, on a daily basis. So, you know, busting out crying because you're having all of these feelings and all of these hormones are raging. Um, it's not always something that you feel so comfortable in sharing with everyone. But the danger is that if you don't share it, if you don't pay attention to it, if you don't address it, it can lead to more damaging things. And I know, um, and you all can chime in from just my thought of mental health is only as good as the person is willing to get the help, you yes. know, Unless you specifically do something to where you have to be admitted, you know, if a family member um, is concerned or you do something illegal, nine times out of 10, if you don't want the help, you're not going to get the help. And it leads to a lot of stress. So what type of tools would you all suggest You don't want to jump at every little thing, but I think if there was a line on these conditions that said, okay, hey, if this is happening, you definitely need to seek help. And then what type of tools do you suggest people incorporate into their daily lives to deal with these issues? Um, Piggybacking off what Danil just said, I think using the resources around you, using your family, using your friends, um, because 
part of the uh, treatment for postpartum depression is trying to get as much as much rest as you can. So if you have that um, assistance to help you in taking care of your child or your children, I think it'll make things a lot better. Also, I think early screening is important. So I think that it's imperative for doctors to include depression screening whenever they uh, see their patients. You know, sometimes you go into the doctor's office for a visit and it feels like it's too many, you're in and you're out. And I feel like, you know, uh, mental health screening gets pushed to the back burner. Sometimes it's not even, you know, questioned or looked into. And um, for depression specifically, you definitely want to initiate therapy for patients, uh, talk to a therapist, a psychologist, a, a social worker, because in this way, you know, you can learn strategies on how to cope with your depression. And a lot of times, too, you they may have to incorporate, um, you know, medicines into your treatment, more specifically antidepressants. And I know for mothers, that'll be a concern because, you know, everything that we consume uh, medication wise, it gets, you know, expressed in breast milk. Um, but there are antidepressants out there that you can take when you're uh, breastfeeding. Um, so you want to talk to your doctor specifically about which antidepressant is best for you and wouldn't have any negative impacts on the baby. Um, additionally, uh, when it comes to uh, treatment, you want to stick to your treatment. A lot of times people may seem that, you know, once or twice with talk therapy or, you know, you might be taking their medications for a week and you think that, you know what, I'll be all right. That's not the case. You want to, you know, continue with therapy and continue, stick to your medication regimen, you know, until the doctor tells you that you no longer need to be on it or you need to be weaned off of it. Because a lot of times with antidepressants, it usually takes some time, a few weeks to really work. And Mm -hmm. you just, you never want to stop anything unless you speak to your, you know, a licensed uh, healthcare provider. Mm. Just to reiterate, just on the employer end, it's very important that they offer their employees, mothers especially, offer them services. I know like with my hospital, they offer families child daycare services. So these things that could, you know, alleviate and and it's not costly at all. It's very cheap. Some of them might even be free. So all of these can alleviate the the strains that a new mother or not just a new mother, but a mother period may have. Financial management resources, maybe tweak your company policies to promote flexible work environments, job sharing with other, you know, fellow employees to ease the burden. I think all of these things can help moms. You know, some really good tools and something you said is focusing on the employer, because I, I know that we mostly talked about the the person and what they can do to help themselves. But, you know, in certain careers, it is a little bit difficult, specifically, you know, in construction. Let's, let's say you're managing a project. If you're going to continue to manage the project, may not be as many people to hold that specific role down because, you know, you are the leader. But I will say that it is important and something very small and something easy to do, just check in, you know, check in, check in with that, that mom, check in with the woman, make sure that you're lending an ear, you know, whomever it is, it could be the human resource department. It could be the next in line of leadership. Check in before 
you know, the person comes back to work and definitely check in, you know, ever so often once the person comes back so that you can make sure that everything's aligned. Because unfortunately, we do suffer in silence. We suffer in silence a lot. And when we do choose to expose the issues, it's already to a dangerous level. You know, so I think that's something that is a a good first start while organizations are trying to figure this thing out or the ones that don't have it figured out, I should say, is checking in is something that's it costs you nothing. You know, it just takes a matter of minutes. Daniil, what type of things would you offer up? Great. Thank you, Akila, for amplifying some of those important parts and points. I'm definitely an advocate of mental health therapy for everyone. It doesn't matter if you're experiencing anxiety, depression, or anything. It's just a safe space to be able to talk, to get an unbiased opinion. And it's a really good first step. Right. And I know a lot of people have thoughts about therapy, but it's so important to for you to choose someone that represents you, whatever that looks like for yourself. There's so many different types of therapists. There's so many directories where you can find a therapist. A lot of therapists have now been able to do online therapy like myself. So, so many barriers have been broken down with commuting, trying to find a babysitter, all these things. If you haven't found a therapist, please look for one. And finding a therapist, a good one that is a good fit for you does take some time. Just like you're looking for any other provider, you ask questions, you ask about their, you know, techniques, the way that they approach therapy, their value systems. But we all need a place to be able to vent and a place where someone can really support us in a way that needs to happen. So one of the first things I think is to be able to get a professional that can support you. Mm -hmm. That's therapy. But there are also some things that we can do as well. There's getting the help, but there's also ensuring that you're living a healthy, productive life. When we think of anxiety, we said that it is about stress and worry. We should think about how our home environment is either contributing to our wellness or contributing to our stress. And this is difficult sometimes, right? Because we have to now look at our home environment a different way. And some of it, it, we have control over it, some we don't. But think about the ways that we can incorporate wellness into our home. And I'm not speaking about having a spa in your home. Some people think of self-care like full-blown spa or full-blown, you know, dinners by yourself. Sometimes we can't afford that or it's not realistic. But think about little things you can do to include wellness into your life, whether it be a minute of mindfulness, a minute where you're just sitting still, a minute where you can watch a TV show that's enjoyable for you, a minute where you can just take off all the hats that you're wearing and just be yourself. But those are the things that we want to look into because we want to minimize stress and worry and maximize our wellness. Another thing that folks can do, think about the people who want to help you and pull them in because that support is really, really helpful. It's valuable, um, especially if it's it doesn't come with judgment. We want to make sure that you're able to have people that can kind of lessen the stress that you're experiencing and help to manage your worry. Stress and worry comes along with like sometimes adding too much in our plate. And I'm guilty of that as well. I'm a work in progress as well. So when I share these tips, these are things that I'm learning as well. Hmm. We have to really have realistic schedules. Some of our schedules are not realistic. We don't have realistic expectations of ourselves. We think we have 24 hours a day. We really don't, right? We're in our brains and when we're able to really function, it's a small window. So we shouldn't pile too much on our plate because then we start to feel bad when we didn't complete everything. We start to feel bad when we have more things to do. So we want to be realistic about our schedules. We also want to set boundaries with ourselves and other people. If you can't do everything, you can't do everything. We want to be able to say no and let that be a full sentence, a full stop, and not feel guilty about not being able to do everything for everyone. Also, positive self-talk. The things that we tell ourselves, 
most of the time our default is just unproductive. Mm-hmm. It's all of these things, what we should have, could have done. Why didn't we do this? Those things don't serve us well. So if our mindset is not productive, everything that comes after that is going to follow. So our mindset needs to kind of start with, I'm doing the best I can. I'll get it done. Tomorrow's another day. It's okay if I don't get it done. Those affirmations, they might sound cliche, but they really are very powerful because it's giving ourselves permission to make mistakes, giving ourselves permission to cry, whether it be behind closed doors or not, giving us permission to, you know, fail or not fail, you know, not get called for this project, not be called on lead for another construction site. All these things that we create in our head that we need to do this, this journey that we think our career should look like or our relationship should look like, it doesn't serve us well because it doesn't consider the ups and downs that life throws our way. So we want to leave room for life to happen. And when we leave room for life to happen, it minimizes the anxiety. It minimizes the stress. It allows us to just be human because when we put on this cape that doesn't exist, then we become these superheroes and then we're not allowed to feel, we're not allowed to be sad. And then we we become hard on ourselves. And then we kind of like have this internal battle. And when we turn on ourselves, then who is going to be there for us? We need to make sure that we're our biggest supporter. We are pouring into ourselves in positive ways. And all of that starts with the mindset first. So mental health from the um, a provider, that's the external support. And internally, we need to make sure that we're setting up our home, our workplace, and our mind to be productive and be positive so that when life happens, we have like the safety net. The safety net of um, I'm, we're not going to fall because I don't think a lot of us could afford to actually fall, right? We have too many people dependent on us as mothers, partners, wives, sisters, um, cousins. A lot of people depend on us. So if we have a safety net, that kind of provides us a good way to kind of stumble and not really fall flat, which doesn't help anyone. Mm. Ladies, thank you so much for these gems. I I can't even express how important this is and how thankful I am to know you ladies, you professional ladies, and um, for you to take the time out to to speak to our listeners and just share these gems that are very important to our everyday lives. So you all heard it, ladies. Take that cape, hang it up on the shelf, you know, at least for some time during the day and let people in to help. Pay attention to yourselves also. Seek help when you need it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you to my guests for joining us. And thank you for tuning in to MIC. Please be sure to check us out every Thursday. And don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're using so that you don't miss an episode when we drop. Remember, being a mom in this industry is about making sacrifices. But you do not have to sacrifice your dreams. If someone else has done it, you can as well. Do what you got to do and make it happen.